Hey everyone and welcome to the Year Was the Podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host Michael Montalvo and for the next few minutes we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes today truly unique. On this episode we examine the events that occurred December 16th. In the 248 years since it happened, I've never really looked into the whole idea or act of today's topic, except for an occasional glance. It would sometimes appear in a cartoon or movie, however, any that may have showcased it escaped me at the moment. So when it came up, I thought it would be interesting to take a look at. To start, Let's go all the way back to 1756 and talk about the Seven Years' War. As you know, this lasted from 1756 to 1763 and was a war that was brought on by years and years of conflict between the English and the French. These skirmishes took place not in Europe, where England and France are, but instead North America, where it also went under the name of the French and Indian War. As a quick side note to this, the war was actually a global conflict occurring on five continents, and Winston Churchill actually called this the First World War, making the Great War, World War II, and World War II, World War III. So all those people concerned about World War III should really be worried about World War IV. So everyone was fighting over land in the New World until the Treaty of Paris was signed, February 10th, 1763, which brought an end to the French and Indian War. At the end, the British took control of Canada, Louisiana, and Florida, opening the door for westward expansion, while the French took Pondicherry, as well as colonies in the West Indies and Senegal. There was more to it in the other continents, but for the sake of today's episode, we are only going to focus on the North American side. So despite emerging as a major world power after the Seven Year War, the British Empire emerged massively in debt. And so as a solution to its problems, they began to look at the colonies in America as a way to make back the money it spent during the war. As a way to offset those costs, the American colonists were then introduced to the Sugar Act of 1764. This act placed new taxes on sugar, among other things, allowing the British Empire to begin tightening its grip on the colonies. Later still, a new form of taxation, the Stamp Act of 1765, was passed by Parliament March 22, 1765, and imposed a tax on all paper documents in the colonies. The colonists, however, were not happy about this, claiming that only their own representative assembly was able to tax them. And so, as Americans so often do, they called the act unconstitutional and began to form mobs using violence to intimidate stamp collectors into resigning. And that's kind of funny imagery if you think about it. Imagining an angry mob with torches and pitchforks going after stamp collectors who just got the latest Bugs Bunny stamps in front of the post office. I know it's not the same thing, but it's funny to look at it that way. So Parliament passed the act in 1765, but then repealed it in 1766. According to History.com, they then issued a declaratory act 
at the same time to reaffirm its authority to pass any colonial legislation it saw fit. And so with the Stamp Act now passed, but again repealed, and with the British Empire reasserting their dominance over the colonies, relationships predictably began to sour. And this would eventually lead to an act of rebellion. The Tea Act of 1773 was introduced in 1773, and this was the one that really took things to another level. It was another in a series of taxes imposed on the colonies, but it was also not intended to raise revenue from the colonies. What does that mean, I hear you asking me? Well, it came about because one of the main staples to the British economy was failing, the East India Company. The British Empire, in an effort to bail out the company, granted them a monopoly on the importation and the sale of tea. So money earned from this particular act would go towards saving the East India Company. Collectively, these acts were known as the Townsend Acts. They were named after Charles Townsend, who was the British Chancellor of the Exchequer. These acts imposed duties on British china, glass, lead, paint, paper, and tea, all in the span of about 10 years. These items were specifically chosen because it was thought that they would be the hardest for the colonies to produce on their own, but what's interesting is that not only was this a way to raise money, it was also an easy way to remodel colonial governments. Money raised from these taxes would pay the salaries for colonial governors and judges, essentially buying their loyalty. But things didn't go exactly as planned. Instead, the colonists decided to boycott British goods, and they told the Dartmouth as much when it arrived in Boston Harbor. They initially sent a message to the Custom House to send the ship away without payment, but they refused. A meeting was held, and they once again agreed not to pay for the tea the Dartmouth was carrying and assigned 25 men to guard the docks, effectively preventing the ships from docking. They then held a meeting where the tea company offered a compromise. Let us store the tea in a warehouse while we wait for orders from Parliament. Seems reasonable, right? Maybe, but in doing so, they would have to unload the tea, and once the tea landed, they would be required to pay taxes on it. Needless to say, this idea was rejected. Also during this time, two more ships carrying tea arrived, but the colonists held a final meeting sending a message to the governor asking for the ships to be returned without payments. The response they were given was a simple but definite no. That's when the Sons of Liberty took action. And that was a long way to get to the Boston Tea Party, wasn't it? The year was 1773, and on this day, December 16th, Massachusetts colonists disguised themselves as Native Americans and boarded British tea ships where they dumped 300 42 chests of tea into the Boston Harbor in what has since been dubbed the Boston Tea Party. The Sons of Liberty waited with Antusa. Patient. But knew that the two groups would not be able to form an agreeable solution, and so had in place a secret plan to row out to the ships and destroy the tea. The Sons of Liberty were a revolutionary organization that specialized in civil disobedience. 
and of the participants of the act of vandalism slash rebellion slash protest, only a few are known, including Thomas Chase, Thomas Crafts, Benjamin Eads, Stephen Cliverly, Paul Revere, and Thomas Young. Here's another bit of trivia for you. Supposedly, no property was damaged or looted during the act of protest other than the obvious. Allegedly, the men involved even went so far as to sweep the ship's decks clean. With this act of rebellion, the Sons of Liberty cemented their status as a radical and sometimes violent group. Some men, such as John Adams, praised the group, while others, such as George Washington, would offer his disapproval, saying that the Bostonians were mad. Because there were no phones or email at the time, it wouldn't be until January of 1774 that the British Empire would learn of the act and, as a response, introduce the Coercive Acts, or the Intolerable Acts, again in 1774. These acts closed down Boston Harbor to merchant shipping until the town paid for the tea it destroyed. Benjamin Franklin, another man who disapproved, went so far as to offer to pay for the tea himself. The Intolerable Acts also formed a British military rule in Boston, requiring quartering of British troops and made British officials immune to prosecution in America. As you can imagine, this was something that was fought against as well. In the end, 46 tons of tea worth approximately $18,000 were destroyed. I couldn't find a converter to convert that into present-day money, but the article I read said that a ton of tea cost the same as a two-story house at the time. So I imagine it would be quite a bit. But that's, that's pretty much the Boston Tea Party in a nutshell. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the Year Was audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.